0: Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Tuesday, August 9th, and we are here trying to answer your financial questions. And when I say we, I mean me and Mark Telercio, the best executive producer in the world. I was just going on the record with uh, some of the brass at CBS, and I said, we're not changing a thing unless Mark and I make more money. And the guy says, well, you mean you guys are like a team? I'm like, yeah, we're a team that's what happens. He he didn't really say that, did he? He didn't say it in that way. He should know better. He does now. That's what I can tell you. Anyway, we are all, listen, we are a team, but we, as the Jill and Money community, we are a community together. And Mark and I love this community so much. I mean, Mark, it really is just the best to hear from people all the time. It's so cool. And, You know, frankly, I I could tell you that if I if I just did this every single day of my rest of my work life, it's plenty. I don't need to do the TV. I don't need to do a lot of other stuff. I don't need to do as much writing. Maybe we could charge some money for that. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to stay. We're staying with the model right now. You get it for free. If you guys would, I mean, what would be the model that you would want? Like, it seems to me that this works for everybody. It's free. You have to put up with some ads. Let's do, let's do a poll right now. If you guys think, would you rather have no ads? What would you charge for no ads? Like five bucks a month? I don't even know a month. That's right. Five bucks a month. Would you do, would you pay $60 a year for a no ad version of this show? I do. When you watch TV now and you watch an, uh, something with an ad, it's brutal. And I don't feel like that's what podcasting is. I feel like the ads are a lot easier. Anyway, let us know what you think. Just go to jillonmoney.com and hit the contact us button. And uh, then we can figure out whether or not to charge. We could do like a free version. We could do this for, I don't know. Let's all think about it. Okay. Elise says, here's the situation. Self-employed realtor and widowed. She says, I've been doing this for 27 years. This is I my income range between $25,000 in a bad year to $100,000 in a great year. Last year was very good. Uh, This year started off, well, slowing down to a standstill. There you go. There's the sharp tip of the potential recession right there in the housing market. All right. Elise has a million bucks in a traditional IRA, $38,000 in cash. I rent, but own a condo in Florida, which is paid for, and I rent that out. So Most of the expenses are covered except when things like the AC went and I had to pay out of my savings. Okay. Unit has no mortgage. If it is sold, it will be split between me and my two sisters. It's worth 650 grand. Hmm. That's a big number. She didn't say what the actual rent was. But anyway, she only, remember, she gets a third of that. Okay. She took her late husband's social security at 60. She gets $2,000 a month from that. She'll take hers either at her full retirement age or at 70, and it would increase to 2300 or 2700 depending on when she switches over. Small pension, $350 a month. My rent, $1,800 a month, but I have a roommate who pays me $600 per month, and I Airbnb my back bedroom and bath, which brings in about $500 a month. Mark, what is this? This is crazy. She's a hustler. She's an awesome hustler. I love it. She says, I'd love to take $1,800 a month out of my IRA now to pay my rent so it won't be a constant worry. My stockbroker says, absolutely not. Mom's still alive. She's 93. Dad lived till 88. Thinking about another part-time job. We'll still sell real estate forever, but my practice isn't doing well. Also, my healthcare, no cost. Husband worked uh, had worked for a state. So, wow, that's amazing. All right, so here's what we got to answer the question of. She's got a million dollars and she wants to know, let's think about this. Can she take $1,800 a month? What do you think, Mark? I don't see why not. I don't really have a big problem with $1,800. Yeah, that's not a lot of money. I think that's doable. I think it is. Um, so let's just do this. Hold on a second. Why did, the, why did the broker answer absolutely not? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Let's just think about this. It's twenty-one grand a year, right? Let's say twenty-two thousand. I think it's okay. I got to be honest with you. I don't think that that's so bad. I'm not sure why the stockbroker says absolutely not. What is he seeing that I'm not seeing that he wants the money? <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, really, like eighteen—that's you know, essentially like under a two and a half percent withdrawal rate. Her social security is going to rise in the future. All she's saying is instead of freaking out about having the roommates and this and that and everything that she just doesn't have to worry about it. I don't know. I don't think this is a big deal. And by the way, I, it sounds like the unit, the, the, the rental will eventually give her a couple hundred thousand dollars. I think you can do fine. That's my insight. Mark and I are saying do it. Uh, unless we're missing something. I, I don't know what we could be missing, but I don't think so. Julie writes, subject mark, help all caps. Fees are killing me. Hello, Jill and Mark. I'm a 58-year-old elementary school teacher in Southern California. Going to retire in five years uh, with a pension. Okay. Five years ago, I began my investment journey and it was recommended, and was recommended a fiduciary from a friend as I knew nothing. I just took a look at the fees and feel they are high. Here's what I have. I hope you can steer me in the right direction. The 403B has 134000 in it. Currently, the quarterly fee is $400. She's got a Roth and a brokerage at Merrill Lynch. She's getting charged 1%. Is the broker charging you money on the 403B? Are you saying those are the fees from within the 403B? That's what I don't know, number one. First of all, gang, if you have a um, less than a million dollars and you're being charged 1%, for an asset management fee from a large brokerage firm, that's a good price. That's about as good as it's going to get. It's usually more than that. If you want to just do it on your own, or you want to just put it on autopilot, then pick a robo-advisor, pick a Vanguard, pick a Schwab, uh, pick a Betterment, and you'll pay a third of a percent. But if you're not getting anything from this person besides money management, yeah, you can do it a lot cheaper. That's essentially what you need to think about. But a fee of 1% is kind of what you're paying for money management and financial planning. If financial planning is not happening in that relationship, then you know what? I might move on. Okay. I wrote a column in the San Jose Mercury News. Wonder what it was about. Let me think. Okay. I know what column this is. This is the column that I wrote about the US dollar strengthening as Bitcoin was falling. And so here's a note from Jane who says, I love the column. I'm sorry someone wrote you in fuss last year at all talking about Bitcoin because I got a lot of hate mail last year from my Bitcoin doubting. I always say if it's too good to be true and new, run, not walk the other way. So I have a question which may help me and others. Let's say you have around 25 grand of extra money. It's from a small IRA account that if something happened to that money, it wouldn't make much of a difference. But it is important to try to conserve it as the owner is a senior and they're on a limited income. How would you, given the current scenario, approach investing these funds this year? It's all cash, some cash, mutual bonds, What We all know this is a general question. I wouldn't apply it to a real person, but I am curious about what an expert is viewing as to what's going on and how would they invest right now. Okay, so Jane, here's what I think. Number one, if you had $25,000 of extra money and then you say, but I want to conserve it, then you can't invest. Those two things are diametrically opposed. So I'm going to give you the two, like sort of like the, the the pole ends of the spectrum. One is I do not want to lose any money, in which case you have to be very boring and invest in something that is very boring, like a money market, a high yield savings, uh, a, a shorter term CD. Like if you cannot actually stand movement of your portfolio at all, and you might need to access to it within the short term, no risk. Other end of the spectrum. You really do have 25 grand. 25 grand, which is essentially like, I don't care what happens. It is you know my grandchildren's money. Then you can basically throw it in an index fund or two and go to sleep at night and not worry about it. Most people fall in between. That's the critical part of the question, which is, Most people might say, I've got 25 grand. I don't really need it. I don't really want to lose it. Uh, But what should I do? And in that case, it's sort of a boring balanced approach. I would say it's some stock index, some bond index. Maybe if you wanted to, you could put a little international in there, but I wouldn't go crazy. That's where most people lie. It's like that middle area. Okay. This is from Anonymous. Subject, how to be morally fair. Wow. Wow. Okay. Listen to this. Jill, I am your avid listener. Even though I'm in the financial industry, I learn something every day from your podcast. That's so nice. This might be a legal question. All right. Well then I'm happy to weigh in since I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) I value your insight. Maybe you could provide your thoughts. Okay. My mother-in-law is in her late eighties and she's in a retirement home. She needs 24 hour care. Her long-term care policy pays for half of it. The rest of the expenses come from her investments and rental income from the house she lived in before she moved into the retirement home. She has two adult children, including my husband and her sister, and his sister must be, who is physically closer to her. She, meaning the sister-in-law, has two kids. My husband chose not to have any children we were married a decade ago. I have a child of my own. Their mother's intention was to keep the money in the bloodline. Oh, this goes right up my, you know what? Instead of setting up a trust, she chose to keep it simple and split the money three ways. One third to the daughter, one third to my husband, one third to the grandchildren upon her death, if anything is left. The daughter has never worked. Her husband has a steady job. Mom started gifting via a limited partnership before she became incapacitated. We saw the daughter was spending more money on building a studio and taking trips and lavishing kids with video gaming sets, spending the gift over time. Recently, she casually asked my husband if he's okay with her husband's mom moving into the rental property rent-free because his mom is widowed and had no place to live. This is tough. In all fairness, taking care of my mother-in-law's health expenses is the most important task. Okay. But if we boil down the numbers, we start to think how we would, how, how we do this to be morally fair. My husband had agreed to not getting half of her estate, reduced it to a third. Now, if the rent is gone, tenant will move out. The equivalent health expenses would be coming out of their mom's investments and thus the children's inheritance. My husband has high blood pressure and is on meds. I see the inheritance as his future long-term care expenses. Hmm. We were thinking he had agreed to a third. It would make sense to have his sister agree to take care of her own mother in law as expenses by either accounting for half to be gone to the rental income that will have to be relented. We're concerned that once her mother-in-law moves in, it's harder to raise, to sell, to raise liquidity. I'm going to say, I'm going to be, I'm much worse than anonymous. This is a hard no. Too bad. Sorry. This is not this is not a good idea for so many reasons. Number one, you're you're right, your husband already agreed to say, Yeah, you know what, instead of half-half, I love my nieces and nephews. Sure, let's get money going to them. Which I mean, look, if that's her wish, by the way, fine, then that's her wish. But the number one thing is we have to make sure that. Your mother-in-law is taken care of and all assets are available to pay any expenses, right? Part of renting her place out is covering those expenses. Having rent free is not actually an idea. And more to your point, if you ever had to sell it and actually get like get a chunk of money, then what are you going to do? The other mother-in-law is in there. No way. No way. Also, I just think you say, you know what? That's not going to work for mom. That, I'm Sorry we really need to have that rental income. That's it. Look, she's in a nursing home. This is all going to resolve soon. She's not going to live for 25 more years. So I think just no, that's not going to work. I mean, the problem is I think her husband doesn't sound like he wants to get into it at all. I can say this is not a moral dilemma. In many cases, it's as simple as what you imagine. And that is how do we best take care of my mother-in-law? For your husband I think what he needs to hear is your number one priority is taking care of your mother. When your mother dies and your sister, your sibling gets that that share and those grandkids get that share, they can do whatever they want with it. But now, no, no. I, I feel like this is like a little bit over the top also. So it's not even a moral question. I just think like that's actually like it is an entitlement question and like simmer down sister-in-law. Back off, get, whip that husband into shape in that, like, don't make it about like your sister's a spendthrift or, you know what I mean? Like, don't make it that say, keep stressing. Our number one goal is taking care of your mother. That is the number one goal until she dies. No complications at all and no changes. That's it. (sighs) Okay. I think that's a, that's the show. I did a little strident today, wasn't I? You guys, I mean, these are complicated issues, but come on, guys. It's not actually that complicated. If you know, it's like the old story. It's like when you think about triage, what do they do? They say, what is the most important thing? We want to actually save this person's life. I remember I once heard a story at the local volunteer ambulance corps where they did a um they rescued a guy who was having a heart attack and they gave him CPR. And you're not gonna believe this. So one of the one of the problems with CPR is sometimes you don't know how hard you're pushing. It's this heat of the moment. They saved the guy's life, but they broke like four ribs. Guy sues them, gets thrown out. It's like a famous case in the in town for like you've got to be kidding me. It, like, like let's not say okay, wait, we're gonna we're not gonna do CPR and we'll let you die, but then you'll have your ribs. Aren't you going to be happy about that? You know we got to prioritize the priority. Mom, mom's the priority. Mark, should we end the show so I can stop? That's a wrap, baby. All right. Uh, If you have other moral dilemmas or just financial questions, go to JillOnMoney.com. Click the contact us button. Let us know if you would come on the air. I'd love to talk to this person. I have a whole like backstory of what's going on in my mind right now. Uh, while you're on the website, check out all the other stuff that's there. We've got other shows. We've got video. We've got resources. And of course, please sign up for the weekly newsletter. We would love for you to get that every single Friday. Okie dokie. Oh, also, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. Put your hands metaphorically on someone's back. Grit, growth, grace. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.